broadcasting live from the 2018 RMA International Conference at the Aria Resort in Las Vegas. It's time now for a special episode of Capital Club Radio. Broadcasting on the Pro Business Channel and across 16 syndication networks. This show made possible in part by Flock Specialty Finance. For more info, visit flockfinance.com. And now, here's your host, Chairman and CEO of Flock Specialty Finance, Michael Flock. Thank you and good morning from Las Vegas. Uh, we've got some really interesting guests here with us. Uh, I'd like to welcome Chris Chenoweth, CEO, and John Sanders, COO of CDine and CKS Financial. Chris is the founder of C9 and has over 20 years' experience developing and leading teams in the IT call center sector. Some of his notable accomplishments include building. Hey, I'm Andy. If you don't know me, it's probably because I'm not famous. But I did start a men's grooming company called Harry's. The idea for Harry's came out of a frustrating experience I had buying razor blades. Most brands were overpriced, overdesigned, and out of touch. At Harry's, our approach is simple. Here's our secret. We make sharp, durable blades and sell them at honest prices for as low as $2 each. We care about quality so much that we do some crazy things, like buy a world-class German blade factory. Obsessing over every detail means we're confident in offering a 100% quality guarantee. Millions of guys have already made the switch to Harry's, so thank you if you're one of them. And if you're not, we hope you give us a try with this special offer. Get a Harry starter set with a five-blade razor, weighted handle, shave gel, and a travel cover. All for just three bucks, plus free shipping. Just go to harrys.com and enter 5000 at checkout. That's harrys.com, code 5000. Enjoy! Building entire telecom solutions and call center infrastructure with state-of-the-art mass calling and messaging solutions. Chris believes that Cdyne's proprietary technology has a distinct technological advantage over its competition. John, John Sanders, began his career in financial services with PRA in operations. But he decided in 2007 he could make more money on his own and launched his own debt-buying company, Sanders & Associates. In 2009, c acquired CKS with the objective to use the collections and debt-buying platform as an opportunity to leverage the c technology to make CKS more effective, more efficient as a debt buyer with leading-edge call center and decision-making process. That's awesome. This is sort of the tale of two companies here becoming one. And, you know, we've never, this is our first time having two guests at the same time because you guys have quite a story together, and I think you felt two were stronger than one. And so, Chris, let's start with you. Well, how did you get into technology? You're, you're, you know, this is clearly almost a part of your personality. You know, you, you love it. It's, it's almost a hobby to you. I think the line between work and play here is very fuzzy. Were you always technologically oriented as a kid, or how, how did you get into this? Well, it started actually out when I was uh, about six years old. My dad got a Commodore 64, and uh, he said, well, you want to learn to program it? Start programming, and every day I'd just come home, just work, and start programming and learning everything about it. Then one day it broke, and uh, he said, you're going to have to fix it yourself. So he got me the schematics for all the, the chips and everything else, and I ended up having to solder and figure out logic gates and all kinds of crazy stuff with that. So I've been doing technology for a long time, but... Uh, 
I just love doing everything electronic. Okay, and then I guess did you study this in college? Uh, I, I did partly study in college, but uh, I found out that the uh, schools were a little bit behind on what I had already known. So I ended up uh, doing a lot of it on my own. So more of a self-starter, and, uh, and okay. I've read all kinds of everything I could get my hands on with technology. So, so as a self-starter, did that include when you were a kid thinking about having your own business in technology? Oh yeah, I dreamed of having a business all my life. So okay, yeah. So I am where I've wanted to be as a kid actually so <laughs> so this was really part of your dna yeah. right part of your genes and so now you're are you as can i ask you are you living the dream or <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not as glamorous as i thought it would be <laughs> but it is a lot of fun actually you know and uh, you know for everything I, i'm not able to do I, i'm glad i've got a business partner over here that actually does everything that i don't we're both very uh, right. complimentary to each other uh-huh and there also was another executive, Jim Cowan, who was, I That's think, right. helping you also start Zidon, correct? Right. Yeah. When we first started out, we didn't have uh, anything to get the right amount of money. And Jim, being one of the founders of PRA, actually had a good backing behind him. And, right. And uh, John and I, you know, we're just young guys with, and I was just going in debt trying to pay everybody all the time. So. Right. So how, how did you and John meet? We actually uh, met through uh, another person who who did some IT work for him on the side that was also PRA-based. And uh, then I went over there, and I was like, John, this is easy to just make a system. Let's just do this together and start working together. And then uh, before long, we decided that we'd we'd pretty much merge and and work together. So. So, so John, you started into debt buying in 2002, is that right, with one of the largest debt bars, PRA? Yeah, so I got my start with portfolio uh, recovery, and kind of, you know, randomly, uh, I met a guy um, at a gas station talking about this great company he was working for. I was kind of trying to decide what I wanted to do, and I went and interviewed and got hired as a collector, Um, so kind of worked my way up from a collector to a manager to an operations uh, or an AVP. Um, Really enjoyed it, learned so much. Uh Uh, It was a great company. Uh, I couldn't have had a better starting point in this industry. Um, 2007, you know, I had some ideas on how to make things a little more efficient. Um, I was young enough at that time that I felt it was a good opportunity to go out and strike on my own and, you know, see how successful we could be and, you know, growing it out. And um, it was great. I mean, we've really, really enjoyed what we've done so far. Um, But partnering up with Chris was fantastic. I mean, the technology really complemented what I was trying to do. And it was making an efficient process uh, be a great service provider um, from you know originally debt buying and now more kind of on the servicing side, um, and we've seen a lot of su- success from what we've done together. Uh huh. But unlike Chris, you weren't dreaming at six years old of being a collector, right? I mean, this this sort of just evolved, and is that right? Out after college, that yeah. I mean, so I didn't really, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. Yeah. Um, and I got, you know, my I started out as a collector, and I was, you know, pretty good at it. I liked talking to people. I liked kind of navigating them through, you know, their financial situations and seeing if I could help them. Um, so I call, I always saw it as more of an opportunity, and I think that. Sometimes this industry is misunderstood because it is invaluable to what it does to the, you know, the economy. And at the end of the day, we're all trying to you know, solve a problem for somebody. Mm-hmm. And we take that approach with what we do in terms of how we operate at CKS and C9. Mm-hmm. Now, Chris, when you were talking a minute ago, you know, I asked you what uh, 
you know, you're living the, you're living the dream, but it wasn't right. easy either. Oh, no. Were there times when you worried about kind of the survival of your, your startup? There was a time I was actually about half a million in debt because okay. I was paying everybody else. Oh, that's all gone now, thank goodness. But, uh, uh-huh. yeah, starting a company is not easy. And there was times that uh, they'd come and they would be like, you didn't pay sales tax on all these things. You pulled it. You know, you don't think about these things. I'm like, everybody orders over over state lines back in the day. But uh, then we had a $40,000 tax bill that was like, oh, well, you know, you live and you learn as you go on business. It's just right. one thing after another, licenses and, and everything else. And I feel now we're probably the most compliant, most licensed, most, you know, we do everything by the book. Right. It's, I think it's helpful. And as you were building the business, Chris, uh, were you married and have, had kids then? I did. And uh, that's how I lost uh, my last marriage because I was working all wow. the time. I mean, so. <laughs> so it was a lot harder, as you said, than you thought. Right. Yeah. Right. I, I couldn't be happier with my current marriage, though. So okay. That's why I, <laughs> I, I love it. I absolutely didn't mean it. to go there. But, <laughs> yeah. but as entrepreneurs, we know how much you know, stress can affect your family life. Yes, Whether it's can. financial or just travel, yeah, it's just not being all at home, the time. and um, I still do work a lot. This, uh, and she understands me, the, the person I'm with now, so she uh-huh. understands I work all the time. How about you, John? Did you go through a similar challenge there as an entrepreneur starting Sanders and Associates? And absolutely, I mean, yeah. my first office was my living room. You yep. know, so I converted into a, you know, a, a mini office, and you know, bought my first portfolio and started collecting, and you know, had to focus on. Um, you know, states where licenses wasn't required initially. And then as I grew, you know, I had to start licensing each state in order for me to buy in those states and collect. And then trying to find an office and then, you know, print my own checks to take to the <laughs> bank in deposits. You know, uh-huh. there was no automation for me. There was no, yeah. a, you know, um, credit card processing or ACH. It was all done on paper check with microtoner. And, you know, it was it was all it was all me originally. Um, that was for the probably the first six months. And I got a small office um, brought on, you know, five or six collectors and then you know started partnering up with chris on you know hey i need some efficiencies i got some ideas um some notes i had been jotting down over my you know kind of career at, at, at pra and then as i started out on my own you know where i was making some mistakes where i saw opportunities um and you know when chris and i partnered up the thing it just really took off and it, it, its intention was to be a beta group for building this collection platform okay um but we were we ended up being so successful and mm-hmm. you know our collections and uh, our performance and efficiency, and that we had a lot of uh, groups who were placed with us, that we were their number one agency. So we kind of decided at that point we just continued to grow, and, and that's what we've done. And we're continuing to focus on technology and efficiency, you know, multi-channel communications, um, how to you know enhance processes, uh, take some of the manual aspects out of them, um, and that's really what we've done. And yeah. you know, we have a, a lot to still accomplish, um, but we have a you know great vision, and we're heading down a, a good path. Now, when you started Sanders and Associates, uh, were you married? Did you have a family then? Yes. Yes. Did you have? Was it stressful for the family and your wife? And- well, fortunately for me, um, my wife is in the industry, so she appreciates um, the work and the time. Oh, of- that's a big plus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, it, she kind of can appreciate the time that you need to spend. You know, in this industry. I mean, she if, she, if I was putting in sixty-hour work week, she was putting in seventy-hour work weeks. So okay, yeah. So she, you know, fortunately for me, she understood. Right. And I yeah. think she's still working with you at CKS, correct? Recently, yes. Yeah, recently, recently she you know, she came on board to kind of help us grow the operations side, kind of manage that as, you know, we focus more on driving, you know, the technology growth on our technology company um, as well as, you know, the uh, you know, the business development side. Yeah, so, both, in a sense, it's still a family business. Yeah, we, right? we both have uh, wives that work uh-huh. really, really hard. Yours does, too. Yeah, oh. they're brilliant. They're smart. Uh-huh. 
so she understands the business and very sensitive oh, yeah. to the, yeah, the importance she, of you spending time on the does, job. Yeah. So, yeah. Of course, Chris, with you, though, it's, it's almost, you know, it's a hobby, too, right? You, it, it's your passion, and, you know, it's all the part technology of Technology side, I do, a, I'll, I'll do things, that, you know, technology-wise at home. That's just because I love doing it. Yeah. I sit there and mess with circuit boards and all Well, that's another common theme. I think it's the same for John, <laughs> right? I mean, it's your, it's your passion. And Now, you mentioned vision. Let's talk about CDON software. And I, prior to the uh, interview today, I, I read up a little bit about it. And I, I realized that CDine serves a variety of industries, not just collections. So that's right, yeah. And, and I read that uh, UPS and the Ohio State Police use your software for purposes that have nothing to do with collections. I read that code from CDine alerts towns of impending tornadoes and sends reminders for dentist appointments in Washington. That's true, yeah. We send over a billion text messages a year right now. And yeah. We're actually growing. And that's all appointment reminders and uh, all kinds of different stuff. It's also benefited our, our beta collection agency because they have the lowest cost phones and uh, messaging you could possibly have for a company. So, I mean, it's... it's so is that the connection then with collections? Because my next question was, so what's... How did you get into collections then? Why collections versus these other these other verticals that CDON is supporting? Well, we, I have a lot of experience in collections too because I came from PRA. So uh, we actually uh, said, well, we can do this. We can do it well. And uh, we can uh, make a collection system on our own that does everything that all the other ones do. In, in our opinion, but really, there there is a you know there's a lot to it. There's uh, we want to do all the neat things like scoring accounts behind the scenes and, and use machine learning behind all that mm-hmm. and do things as best as we can. So. And so, did John help you at that at some point design kind of the oh, the yeah. plan for the. I won't say integration, but the synergy between the the needs of the collection industry? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, the way we, you know, looked at it was I would identify a problem, okay, just in a daily, you know, use case scenario. For example, you know, know, my floor spends X amount of their productivity a month on recovering broken promises, right? They put a lot of effort into just getting the initial payment arrangement to have Mm -hmm. to continuously follow up on broken promises. is It's unproductive time for us. So to get that productivity back, I go and talk to Chris and say, look, here's my idea. Here's I think we can be more efficient. And Mm -hmm. you can use different, you know, automated channels or scripts through email or text when you, as long as you have consent, which we get at the, uh, you know, the initiation of the payment plan through our Reg E solution. Um, and now the broken promises are being automated and, and serviced you know, to the consumer by a different channel. So that's reducing my collector's you know, work time on a non-productive, in my opinion, a non-productive um, scenario. Yeah, a penny is a lot cheaper than somebody's time. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you can just contact them. And, and we also have systems that will communicate back with them if they have questions. And that's all using machine learning-based algorithms. Right. So help us understand, then, is it... I mean, what is it in addition? I guess it's the scores that uh, help you decide, you know, what accounts go to what channels at what time. Is, is, is right, that exactly? What it? You, you take all the attributes on an account and you and you try to figure out how how to best serve it in what time of day. You know, what works for people. Okay. You know, and you know everything counts in those things. So we we use all those attributes and we use the machine to learn against it. Okay. Um, and I know you talk a lot about acquisition analytics. So is, that, is this what you're talking about, essentially? That, all, that also is part of it, yes. But it's more than just scoring. I know scoring is critical and key right. to your IT strategy, but what else is there beyond scoring? 
Well, I mean, it's all about technology. Like he was talking about multi-channel communication. It's it's about you know what's who do you communicate? How do you how, what how to best effectively communicate with everybody mm-hmm. without uh, you know having people fall through the cracks. Mm-hmm. So to summarize on how CDON uses technology. It's both for, I guess, underwriting, projecting liquidations, and at the same time, determining what the optimal service plan is. Is that Absolutely, it, essentially? Yeah. yeah, that's that's essentially it. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, we're all trying to determine what's the best, you know, time to contact this consumer through what channel. Mm-hmm. And we're all trying to figure that out. And it's it, with machine learning, it's ongoing. It's constantly learning. So, you know, we evolve over time. And we think, you know, as we continue to progress and monitor what we're doing and all the recordings that we're tracking and logging, uh, we're going to become more and more efficient and really reduce our cost of collection, which is our goal. Um, but, again, we want to also be able to communicate with consumers when it's convenient for them. Mm-hmm. You know, there might be, you know, a consumer who on Sundays only watches football. Mm-hmm. So he's not going to answer his phone. But – he may be willing to look at his text and respond to his text because it's not so intrusive. So those are the type of scenarios we're trying to develop and put in place. And there's a lot of groups out there in the industry now who are doing some things that I think are really good. Um, you know, there's one in particular that focuses on email. I think it's great. However, it's one channel. Right. And that's not a total solution. So right. what we're trying to do is find the total solution. That's right. So would, do you anticipate text then and email, though, kind of overtaking phone calls over time? Is that... Well, it's definitely very cost effective. Okay. So even even so, it's cheaper than a call. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So even so, it, it's cheaper than sending a, a letter too, right? Right. So I mean, we could send at least twenty texts before you know it starts to become cost prohibitive yeah. at that point. Mm-hmm. But. And the important thing is, you know, establishing consent. I mean, that's the big yes. deal. You can't do any of this without consent. So um, we do a lot of it through, you know, we get our when our, our payment arrangements are set up, and that's kind of the starting point. You know, we have some other other things that we're doing um, that, you know, are getting us consent, um, you know, without, you know, initiating that initial communication by text or email because we're very conservative there. Mm-hmm. Um, and with some of the groups we're working with, um, some of the financial institutions, you know, they're very, you know, conservative as well. So nobody wants to, you know, be the, the use case, you know, or the right. example on, you know, testing right. the legalities of it. So, you know, we're making sure we're cautious um, and, you know, we're trying to use our best judgment on how we communicate with the consumers. Right, right. So right now this technology is proprietary. So you have no desire to, no plan to market the technology, but rather market the service. Is that we, right? We, we do market parts of the technology, so like scoring engines, and uh, we actually built a PBX all in house, all in scratch, all all for, from scratch. Actually, right. so uh, it it allows us to do the transcription of the voice real time, the sentiment analysis, whether there people are angry on the call or not angry, okay. all real time. Okay. So, and the, the best part of that is we have the two-channel communication. When somebody's talking on one side, it's analyzing, and then it's also analyzing on the way back. So there can be hits for the compliance department mm-hmm. that say, you know, listen, we're, we have a problem with this call. Let's go ahead and check it out. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's, it's brought lawsuits way down because we're able to keep track of everything pretty much real time now. Well, I wouldn't say lawsuits, more so complaints. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, John. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, true. and, and the, the challenge there, and I think this is what, true with any agency, is, you know, you can 
you can do your best to you know monitor or have a quality assurance rep um, your agents you know regularly but to do them all at the same time is very challenging right so you need some sort of detection software that's going to let you know real time <clears throat> uh, this you know this call is getting a little bit above you know whatever our ranges we consider for you know your voice volume um, and flags at real time I mean that's that's what you're looking it's for it's almost like you have a compliance agent for every single person mm-hmm. out there that's listening right because right now that's impossible mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So uh, it's been how many years then since uh, you guys merged? What was it? Oh, no, 2009. 2009. Yep. So not, let's say roughly nine years. How has the journey been? What, was it you know, as you expected? Or were there some surprises along the way? It's it's been it's been a you know bumpy ride some, yep. some of the way, but you know it's really starting to you know pro, you know progress the way we kind of envisioned it initially. I think you know us kind of taking control of the company with you know as we bought out our partner um, and former CEO has allowed us to kind of really realize our vision and drive it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, obviously with me being an operator and Chris being IT, we have a difference of opinions on how certain sure. things should be. Right. You know, it's it's tough to ask you know Chris to build a you know an interface when He's not the end user. So we have those conversations quite often, and sometimes there's a, disagree- there's a disagreement or a difference in opinion. Yep. But we always work right. through it for the better of the overall you know, product or right. project. Right. That's right. You know, it's, uh, I have never been a collector, so. but I did build collection systems over at PRA, so that kind of mm-hmm. helped. And then we've, built, uh, we've been working on this collection system for years now. Mm-hmm. So. so, Chris, do you defer to John then on these issues of end user uh, friendliness, let's say, or sometimes. I mean, just, the, the <laughs> sometimes. other the, the the other part of it is that uh, I always want to be different. I, I mean, I want us to be doing something different than the industry standard. And, right. And John definitely goes, "This is how everybody else is doing, and we should try to do it." You know, this way. I'm like, "Well, let's think outside the box." Sometimes, and sometimes he agrees with, sometimes he doesn't. We, we work it out, though. So, what are some <laughs> examples of being different? <sighs> It's actually been a while since yeah. we've had any yeah. issues like that, but uh, maybe you know, like how how we how we score accounts, how we serve accounts, really, mm-hmm. because um, you know we're testing out beta algorithms all the time to serve accounts, and John's like, hey, today we need to make this much money. Do it the old way if you have to. But I'm like, well, we have to test out this new algorithm mm-hmm. because in the end, it'll make us tons of money, right? Mm-hmm. But you know, we also trying to make money for all our investors and everything else too yeah. right and, so. then we, and then we end up negotiating like all right i'll give you you know 10 seats you know as a beta group you know right. but not the entire floor i mean we'll do things like that like i can't take down my entire floor on testing but hey i got a group here that i think is a good control group and we'll use them yeah a good okay. example of that right now we actually have uh, people testing a brand new phone that's on the browser in order to upgrade the quality and everything else and we can't put all the agents on it because you know what if they're having issues and, and but we we do put a, a good test group on there and you know, we we negotiate that, and that's the great thing about you know the synergies between you know where kind of the technology and you know the collections kind of overlap is, you know as, you're, as a you know a producer of technology and there's so many in this industry, how many of them actually have a call center that they can develop this stuff through? I mean, it gives us a great you know advantage above our you know what we can our competitors, especially on the tech side. So, Chris, you used the word negotiating. Um, is, is that kind of, the, in essence, the, the decision-making process at uh, CDIN and CKS? Or do you have, a, uh, like, an investment committee that reviews uh, either investments we, in debt buying or investments in technology? Or how, how does it work? Or, or is it just 
you know, you guys are friends. You've worked together a long time, and you, you negotiate it and it slug depends it out. on if it'll pack the bottom line, right? Yeah. So it, it's all about if they're going to make their numbers for the month, things like that. So okay. they still need to make their numbers within reason. Right. I, I realize sometimes we'll put out a product and it'll cause it'll cause some heartache on the side. Uh-huh. People got to work extra hours in order to do uh-huh. it. I had uh, uh, my entire IT staff working an entire weekend away fixing you know issues that they ended up creating. Because, you know, we're testing these things uh-huh. out there. And that way, when we send this out to production people in the real world, they're, they're, not, they're not going through the issues anymore. Right. I mean, it's already been pretty tried by the time it's right. been through our agency. So. so when you put the two companies together in 09, did you guys have an organizational strategy or a plan to, to kind of leverage the synergies between yeah, the two groups? So. We wanted to make collections extremely, you know, technical. It's this this account gets served to you for a purpose, uh-huh. and not you just pick a cherry picking through a queue. Right. So that was one of our goals. Is you know we we actually don't have queues. For instance, mm-hmm. we actually serve them the account that we think they should be doing at that time at that place. Okay. Based off what we think they should get. So that's one of the principles of mm-hmm. the company. Okay. The right time, the right channel, the right place. And yep. Right. A lot of them would just work by these little cues and think, oh, well, I want this count because I think this is perfect for me. Okay. It's a feeling base for them, right? And what you call cherry picking. So if, yeah. you, if you left it to most agents, they would cherry pick through their cues. Okay. Right? We take that ability away. So they don't have a work list or queue they can go to on their own. Okay. We are driving everything that goes to them behind the scenes. Now, some of them are really good at cherry picking, and we took their notes. Like, what mm-hmm. makes you think this account's great? Right. Oh, so, so that's actually input then yes, to right. yes. enhance and refine the scoring. Right. Or, yeah, why do you yeah. want to get through this account right. too fast? I right. mean, you know, the, we think it's a good account. Why don't you? But, uh, you know, some reps are really, really good at mm-hmm. it. So has there been, like, a, a cultural synergy, too, between the two companies? Or was the culture always the same? Have you ever thought about it? Because it sounds like you guys share a lot of the same values, and that kind of drives the culture. Is is there a culture to the CDON, CKS businesses or not? I mean, <clears throat> obviously it's a little bit different when you have a production environment, you know, where they're calling, making phone calls all day, and you have a creative environment. So there's a little bit of a difference there. But in terms of, you know, inter-company you know, you know, communication, they all work together. <clears throat> they all take feedback from, you know, what, you know, the, the, the production group is doing, and then the, develop, the, the developers take that information, they run with it, they ask them, you know, our operations, you know, a team and our managers, you know, <clears throat> what do you think about this? And, you know, we kind of evolve that way. Okay, so it sounds like there's a lot of openness, transparency. Yeah. Debating, negotiating. There are some, yeah. yeah. There are some differences when you talk about the creative versus production. Sometimes, uh-huh. like how many hours they should be doing this or whatever else, and, and mixing that all together can be challenging at times. Mm-hmm. Okay. Was there a change in culture or decision making after uh, you bought out Jim? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah. Do you care to comment or? Well, in, no. in all fairness, <clears throat> you know. It, Jim, you know, he, he was in the industry probably 40 years. He cut his teeth at, you know, HSBC, and then, you know, he you know, was one of the founders of PRA and really was, you know, here's how things are done. Right, you know? right. And we saw some, you know, opportunities to improve upon some of these industry standards. Okay. Um, and, you know, I think that was we, – we were able to be as creative as we wanted to be, um, you know, kind of you know, change some of the standards that had already been set, you know, by Jim before us. Okay. 
Yeah. So it was building on his legacy, essentially. Absolutely. He was a good Absolutely. guy, but by the end, but really by the end of it for us, he, he didn't show up enough in order to understand the day-to-day processes. Right. So he was tiring, really, but he was trying to run the show while coming in once every two weeks or something, right? So Yes, yeah, so that was challenging. Yeah, that yeah. was the worst part of it, really. But, I mean, he's a really good guy. Oh, that's great. Sometimes these transitions can be difficult, yeah. you know, both for the person leaving as well as the 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 new quote unquote management team that remains. So it's it's not it's not always easy. Um, but you guys, it seems like you know, C Don and CKS are are having a pretty good year now. Yep. Let's spend one more minute on uh, the vision here first. CKS, we've talked about the C Don vision. What is the vision now for CKS going forward as a, as a debt buyer? Okay, well, you know, the debt buying is kind of a small part of what we do. Uh-huh. We're really, at the end of the day, a service provider, and we want to bring the, bring the best platform to everybody out who's out there. You know, we want to give them a low-cost solution um, that's efficient, that's compliant, that they know when I turn my, my, my customer base over to, you know, to, this, to, to CKS, they're going to be cared for. Mm-hmm. We're gonna take, they're going to take care of them. This is a consumer we, we could potentially try and originate a loan to again in the future. We want them to have a good opinion of us. So that's, that's what we're really trying to focus is just being a best-in-class provider. So, yeah, so growing the servicing business mm-hmm. is just as important, you're saying, as absolutely. growing your debt buying business. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Very good. And, mm-hmm. of course, with technology, I guess, Chris, the next steps are, you know, what is Cdyne 2.1 or 2.2? What What is the... Well, it's all about efficiencies and making, you know, making everybody else's, you know, platforms work better. So, I mean, our PBX product and things that we're, we're putting out right now is really about having an all-encompassing solution for everybody. It's not... You don't want somebody to come along and say, well, to add call recordings, that's a $10,000 a month product and things like that. We're going to say, here's the product. Here's everything you can possibly get with the product. And, you know, these are the charges. It's not a bunch of little add-on things like I need a whole separate system to do speech analytics. I need a whole separate system to do call recordings and things like that. We're all in one. Yeah, it's all inclusive. I mean, from every scrub you can imagine outside of some of the skip trace vendors, we don't really, you know, you know, you play in that space, but I mean, cell phone scrubs, you know, ringless voicemail, text, email, uh, voice, um, death, uh, deceased scrubs. I mean, we have it all encompassed under one, you know, mm-hmm. one program, mm-hmm. and um, that's that's the benefit of you know our cost our cost center benefits from that. You know, we do it all internally. Um, it's one channel, you know, to scrub through all these different databases and you know all these different services. Yeah, we spend a lot on IT infrastructure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what wrapping it up here what words of wisdom do you have for our listeners um in this industry about how you guys have put these two companies together and what what was some of the lessons learned from both of you and why you think this is the right business model going forward I'd have to say probably efficiency is really the best part of it is having you know having IT and collection together we both are constantly increasing efficiency I mean, that's, that's really what it's about. It's about making the collectors do better or have the best tools for them at all times, really. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you want to give your people the best tools. You want to make sure they're not spinning their wheels all day. Yeah, and, and don't be afraid to make mistakes. Don't be afraid to try new things that aren't the standard, <clears throat> but just do it in a controlled environment. I mean, you know, with machine learning, everybody talks about that. It's not something that happens overnight. Mm-hmm. You know, the data has to grow. It has to, you know, teach itself, and that takes time. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, we can all be efficient, 
you know, but don't be afraid to take some chances. Yeah, I, I think it's funny when somebody, you know, you get this brand new company that comes out and we're, we're doing machine learning on this. Machine learning is based off historical data. So a brand new company is not going to have a bunch of historical data. You have to take the machine and learn against that historical data set. This paid, this didn't pay, this did settle, whatever else. And then the machine learns off of that. So, so I'd be skeptical of any new company that pops up and says, we have all the data, we know what we're doing. You know, it's that would probably be our best advice is, you know, get somebody who, who knows what they've been doing because they've been in the business. Wow, this is exciting. So essentially what you two are saying is it's, it's the machine learning that is it's an automated learning process, which right. has to be done over time to do it properly because you need a certain depth, I guess, and breadth of data analytics for the company to continually ongoing refine its operational and technology processes. And, and another thing you need to do is be able to remove out, remove out skewed data, which, example, let's say you have a Virginia collection agency and they mostly collected Virginia accounts. Now they want to machine learn against their, their whole United States worth of accounts. Well, the machine still doesn't have any information on what you collected in Texas. So it's going to tell you that you're really good at Virginia accounts and these are the accounts you should hit. But uh, really, you need to be able to take out the skewed data and, and, and get with somebody who knows you know, the entire world worth of data. So. But also, John, you said something that surprised me. You said, uh, don't be afraid to make mistakes. That, that's, some, that's a phrase we don't hear that often because mm-hmm. most of, all of us think mistakes are bad. Mm-hmm. But what I'm gathering here is that sometimes the mistakes are critical to the learning process. Absolutely. And in machine learning, does the machine learning, uh, you know, learn from the mistakes automatically? Is it, yes, is, actually it will. Yeah, so over time you'll you'll see, you know, things that did work and things that didn't work. They'll they'll get less weights if they didn't, you know, if they're not important. So, if you don't make mistakes, does that slow down the learning process? Well, you have to make <laughs> mistakes because otherwise no the machine can't learn from them either. So, okay. <laughs> so mistakes then, I guess in a controlled environment are a good thing. Right. Is that a fair yep. conclusion? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Mistakes are a good thing. That's one of the lessons learned from these two entrepreneurs here. Well, I I just want to thank both of you, Chris and John, for this uh, half-hour interview, uh, a tale of two companies, uh, but now operating as one that blends the, the contact center operational expertise with the analytics and machine-based decision science. This is this is an awesome story, and I think we're probably still in the first chapter, and I can't wait uh, to read the book that someday I know you guys are going to write about uh, how you guys are leading, you know, both in uh, collections, uh, operations, and technology. I think you guys are real pioneers in this, and it's been a pleasure uh, having this conversation with you this morning. Likewise, and thanks for having us. Thank yeah, you. Absolutely. We want to thank you for listening to this special episode of Capital Club Radio with your host, Michael Flock, and his guest, live from the 2018 RMA International Conference at the Aria Resort in Las Vegas. Made possible in part by Flock Specialty Finance, more than a transaction. For more info, visit flockfinance.com. To listen to a rebroadcast and more episodes, visit capitalclubradio.com.